Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All right, what's up, guys? This is Willie Robertson. Welcome to the Willie Robertson Podcast. Uh, as always, I have my slobby assistant, Johnny D, sitting beside me. I just woke up, like, not long ago. Did you? Yeah, it was a rough night. Good. He's so <laughs> sloppy. Now, he, now our guest today, I'm uh, super pumped about a uh, buddy of mine who's got an incredible story, life, family, um, and he... Um, He's pretty much the opposite of Johnny D. I met him once. It was yeah. he was very well dressed. He's like if you dropped Kevin off on an island for like two years and uh, and left him a bunch of Twinkies and donuts and stuff too. That was what he had survival. That would he would turn into Johnny <laughs> D. That's that's what he would look like if he can grow a beard. I'm not sure. Kevin Lace is here. Kevin, how are you? Willie, thanks for having me on Johnny D. Good to be with you guys again. Oh, it's awesome. Uh, uh, Kevin has a, a incredible story, life, uh, military man. We're going to talk about that. Um, and he's also written a book uh, that I was super happy to get, and uh, it's called The Last Punisher. So, like, it's like if you were a superhero, <laughs> me and you would write a book like this. This is real life, real stuff. Uh, a SEAL Team 3, Sniper's True Account of the Battle of Ramadi. Um Great book. I actually got a my copy, my original copy. I don't know if it was all the book, Kevin. You remember it was like in a binder yeah. uh, uh, with pages. So um, uh, Rad, it's just fascinating, uh, uh, the book. So tell me about the book, why you wrote a book, um, and just your thoughts on you know how it came together. Uh, it's been out a few weeks now. Uh, tell, tell us about the book. You know, we wrote the book in response um, a lot of to you know, my experiences on the set of American Sniper, the movie. Right. And I got a lot of great feedback from American Sniper. A lot of people said, thank you for your service. And then I had some people that were like, I'm sorry you had to go through all that. And I didn't know how to respond to that praise and then also that sympathy. Because I, in my mind, always rationalized it like I, I joined in response to terrorism. I wanted to do this. And I felt it was necessary to write a book, um, not highlighting particularly what I did, but what Tasky and Bruiser, specifically Charlie Platoon, was able to do uh, in Ramadi in the height of sectarian violence in the war in Iraq, and to really dispel a lot of rumors of what it's like to go overseas. And basically, not everybody has PTSD that goes and deploys. And I feel we, you know, when we do see movies and we do hear commentators talk about the war and they talk about veterans, they kind of blanket statement, you know, that more than not have PTSD, and we do a disservice to those that do um, by not keeping it sacred, and we also do a disservice to those that don't. So one of the major themes of The Last Punisher is to talk about the 2%, and we use Lieutenant Colonel Dave Grossman's uh, thought process in his book, uh, Killology, about sheepdogs, and how 2% of the U.S. male population 
can go into war, interdict terrorists, and come back and transition to civilian life. And we wanted that to be a big theme. But I also wanted to highlight, you know, not the superhero. And I'm not a hero. I'm not a superhero. Um, I make mistakes like everybody else, and I wanted to show those and show the people around me who helped me grow and mature as a naive, you know, new SEAL into somebody who's had combat experience. And I was fortunate to serve with some of the most impressive people who've ever worn the Trident. You know, Mike Monsoor was a um, you know, Medal of Honor winner in my sister platoon, dove on a grenade September 29, 2006. Obviously, Chris Kyle. Um, Mark Lee, who was um, my swim buddy um, while we're my shooting buddy while we we're overseas in Iraq, and Ryan Job, and just giants among men. And I wanted the story of the Last Punisher not to be about me per se, but to be about that class of individual that I was fortunate to keep company with. Right. And you know, writing the book, I wanted uh, I wanted really to encourage other veterans to tell their story for right. people to get that first hand account instead of hearing it through a lens, whether it's a uh, movie, a Hollywood movie, or, you know, a commentator on CNN or MSNBC or Fox, but just to hear from the person that was there. Kevin, is there still that, is there still some stigma about, uh, especially SEALs, uh, writing books or, you know, uh, uh, former military writing books? Is that stigma still there? I mean, you hear about that some about, you know, putting the stuff down, um, you know, on paper, selling a book, making money. Uh, did you feel that at all or hear any of that or? I mean, it's always present. People are always going to, to hate on you no matter what you do. Um, you know, I've had a lot of good supporters, uh, great friends of mine, people that I served with. I've, you know, everybody in the platoon has you know, read the book and enjoyed the book and felt it was respectful. So the people that matter, um, you know, have supported me, and I'm fortunate for that. Um, when it comes to the stigma of SEALs writing books, you know, the Battle of Ramadi and the, the time place that we focus on was a decade ago. Mm-hmm. And... What has happened there has changed. You know, it, it's really a piece of history now. Right. Uh, Ramadi doesn't exist the way we left it, but we won't get into that. Um, but <laughs> I think it's necessary for people, um, especially young men that want to be SEALs in the future, want to be Rangers, want to be Special Forces, want to join the military and serve their country and be proud of the way of life that they have. I think it's necessary to tell that story. So, right. you know, would you much rather... You know, a person who has been there, has sacrificed, has, you know, sweat, bled, you know, shared America for future generations, tell that story and be able to tell that story and, 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 and do well off that? Or would you much rather somebody who has no, um, no tie to it, an actor or, you know, a politician or somebody, tell that story for them? And, and right. you know, there's always going to be people that say, you know, you shouldn't write a book, but I really think it's a piece of history. It's important to hear a first-hand account. And I think it's important to give credit to where credit's due. And, you know, it's not just about me. You know, I highlight guys in the platoon that, you know, most people have never heard of. Most people hear about Chris Kyle, but they don't know the Tonys, the platoon chiefs. They don't know about these other guys that make that platoon so robust and made it so, um, you know, so awesome. Well, I think you did, and I think you certainly it's just uh oozing with the team and uh all the people around you and, and like i said even your mistakes and and let's face it i mean the books uh you know a lot of them that have been written i'm fortunate uh enough to know um and you know you've got lone survivor you've got american sniper these are going to be made into movies and let's face it i feel like we need the book right because the book 
because the movies, by the time they get the movie versions, you know, things are, <laughs> creative license is taken, they've got to shorten it up, and they've got to make it, you know, make sense and sell it in Hollywood. So I am glad. I'm glad that there's books written, first-hand account, um, that you can go get all those details. And so, um, you know, it's just it's just hard to get a cliff note you know, version of these stories, and I, I'm I'm glad that you did it. I, I was I was touched by how you joined, uh, um, and what made you um, go into the military, and really where your life was at at that point. Uh, which, let's face it, a lot of Americans, you know, are at that point. So, talk about that. Just when you when you decide to do something, make a difference, and kind of break the lifestyle that you were in, and uh, do something different. Sure, you know I. I wouldn't say I was in a dark place uh, in 2001. I was in a, a rut. Um, you know, yeah, I, yeah. I it, wasn't, it wasn't. I, I pictures like call it. You know, it's like that. Yeah. You know, you're trying to figure out what you're going to do, and you're kind of slobbing around, and you know, about halfway in school, halfway, you know, chasing girls and all that. So yeah, at that at that point in your life, uh, at a young life. So, and then what happened? I mean, what what? Yeah, the answer was E, all of the above. You know, just doing the lifestyle that wasn't productive. It wasn't preparing me to be a successful individual. Um, and the events of 9-11 really hit hard for myself and, you know, all of us above the age of 15. Um, a good friend of mine, his father was killed in the Trade Center, and I'd grown up with, with this individual. And, um, you know, it weighed on me because it was, you know, you know, you hear about people going and old age, but the sheer evil of 9-11 just struck me to the core. And I felt compelled to join the military. Um, my grandfather had joined in response to Pearl Harbor. And I really felt that was our, you know, our calling for our generation. So I went down to the recruiting station, <laughs> actually went to the Marine office, um, but they were, they were out to lunch. So, <laughs> Marines, right? Yeah. Um, but then I, I walked into the Navy office and I saw a steel poster on the wall. And it was a bunch of frogmen climbing out of the water, and I took one look and I—that's what I wanted to do. And back then, there weren't books. There weren't—I think there was Charlie Sheen's Navy SEALs and GI Jane. I watched GI Jane and I was like, "Yep, that's what I want to do. I want to go to Buds <laughs> with Demi Moore." Um, you wish um, they all looked like that. If they all looked like that, yeah. it'd be different. Um, <laughs> But, I, you know, I, I really wanted to um, perform at the highest level. I'd been competitive growing up, but I felt if I was truly going to get in the fight to the degree that I know I could be successful, um, the SEAL teams was it for me. So I did my research and, um, you know, obviously joined the Navy and then went to BUDS, basic underwater demolition SEAL training, and then got to SEAL Team 3. Yeah, and so uh, now you were an athlete, right? I mean, did that? how much did that play in just your athleticism and – um, and all that into the training uh, of what you did to make it easier, or were there guys that didn't seem athletic um, or could handle it? Could handle it? I mean, just tell me a little bit. I mean, I'm fascinated by that and just the training and how um, how I know how hard it is because I know people don't make it. <laughs> These are people who are motivated and still don't make it. Um, what about that training? Sure. You know, I was a good athlete. Um, I. I played a, a host of different sports. Um, swimming was the one that I picked up. You know, I played basketball in high school my freshman year, and I gave that up to swim. And I really wasn't a great swimmer when I started, but by the end of my senior year, I was competing at the state level. But I had a series of successes and failures growing up in sports, and that was the most um, 
uh, I guess, um, you know, pre- preparatory experience that I had was not being the greatest, but being good and then also failing. Because when you get to Bud's, there are some extreme athletes. There are the best of the best. And that you can apply that wherever you go. You can meet smart people day in and day out, but they're not always successful. Um, and that's how it is when you get to Bud's. But when you've experienced failure and you know how to pull yourself back up by your bootstraps and carry on, that's what makes you successful through SEAL training. And I feel that lend credit to, you know, success during that six months of training um, where most don't experience. And I think um, the lesson is, you know, you have to put yourself in in situations where you're not going to succeed to see how you react. And, you know, there are times where I reacted accordingly prior to buzz and there are times I didn't and failed. But all those accumulated, you know, strengthened my resolve when I got to, you know, the elite level, when I got to SEAL training that, you know, this is for keeps and I will make it because I've been through failure before. I don't want that to happen again. Right. At what point, Kevin, do you know that you can actually take another person's life in the in the arena of battle? Um, do you know that going in? Are you, are you guessing? I know you talked about that some in the book. Um, or you just know you got it and you know that, you know, if that time has to come, then you'll take that, you'll have to take that, um, that opportunity you know you when you when you sign on the dotted line when you take the oath you know that you're going to protect your country against enemies both foreign and domestic and protection means you know ultimately interdicting the enemy um on the battlefield or wherever you encounter them um that's an oath that i think a lot of people take but not a lot of people sit and reflect on right and we as a society have become very very civilized where we don't see that evil as much as other areas around the globe. And when you go overseas, you are going to see it. Um, and I knew in response to 9-11 that this is a heinous enemy and it's a diabolical enemy. And eventually we are going to meet it. So mental preparation, you can tell yourself you're going to do it. You're going to do it all day long. And I always felt that I would be able to do it when I got to that situation but you don't know when the situation presents itself. I mean, you know, we all hunt and, you know, you get buck fever and you don't know how you're going to react. But I felt a sense of calm when I got that situation because it's not, and I rationalize in my mind and I know a lot of others with me did, it's not a human being when you see the, you know, nefarious activities, when you see the evil of them taking handicapped children putting them into crowds and detonating with improvised explosive devices. It's not a human being who does that. And that makes it easier to do your job. And when you're hunting some of the worst individuals in the world, um, it's simply a business deal when you get to that battlefield. Right. On the flip side of that, what's it, what's it like mentally, spiritually for people who know that you, your life may end, um, at any moment? Um, I think for regular civilians like us, uh, just the thought of that. I mean, do you just put that out of your brain? If it happens, it happens. And um, I mean, how do you deal with that, knowing that at any moment, because you obviously have lost friends and brothers and uh, that you fought beside, um, how do you push through that and continue on your mission, knowing that you could die at any second? You know, I guess your chances are higher than the normal person. Of, yeah, of, in, in, in 06, I was a I was a young man. Uh, I didn't didn't have a girlfriend. You know, I had my, my family back home, but it was something that it was just me. And if I get blown up, I get maimed. It's just me. You know, I'm not leaving you know anybody behind. And that that you know 
probably made me more effective in what I did um, at that time. But I wrote about August 2nd, and that's the day that um, yeah, we lost Mark Lee on one of our direct action raids in the daytime. And that moment, I realized how fragile, how fleeting life is. And fortunately with Mark, I was able to really experience a lot of humanity. You know, Mark was a very strong Christian. You know, I had very comfortable talking to him about whatever, you know, prior to ops, on ops. And, you know, he made me a better person. So when we lost Mark, I realized how short our time is and our experiences are so valuable. And I think that's where the biggest takeaway that I took was, although you might lose your life on the battlefield, you can lose your life every single day you step out of your house or even in your house. And it made me relish the experiences, spend more time with the people that matter to me, you know, live life for the fullest because truly you don't know when it's gone. And when it's gone, there are no redos. And I think that's Mark Lee's gift to me in that situation. And I carry that forward and, you know, take, come home from work and just throw myself on in the corner of the house and just spend time with my kids because I realize that it can be gone tomorrow. So enjoy the time you have today. Right. You know, and I, I know, uh, Lindsay helped as well, uh, your wife. I want to know who, was it you, someone else, or a team? Reading this book, uh, Kevin, the way you describe things, I really felt like I was there. And I'm not talking about the big parts. I'm talking about the smells and just the, uh, just the, I, I really could, you know, the way you described uh, just the time, the areas you were at, like I said, with the smells and the sweat and the, uh, maybe taking a, a dip of snuff. I mean, whatever it was, I just felt like, wow, I mean, it was, uh, it was incredible how you described these experiences. And I don't know how you remembered them. I know you said maybe you wrote some stuff, uh, wrote a lot of stuff down, but I was like, I can't, I don't know that I would have that memory, especially in the looking at the bigger picture. So, uh, I mean, how were you able to capture all those, uh, down to the fine details of, of these small moments? Sure. Um, you know, uh, I wrote, like you said, I wrote some of the things down, just like basic overviews of you know, how the months were going by and some of the things that we did. Nothing too specific at the time, and I didn't know how that would benefit me in the future, only in the fact that if I live long enough and I have a bunch of grandkids, hopefully that will jog my memory when my, I'm losing my marbles and tell them about all the cool stuff I used to be able to do. But when I worked on American Sniper, um, you know, and working with Bradley and working with Jason, Jason Hall, the writer, you know, Jason, I asked him, how do you prepare for these scenes? How do you become an actor? And he's like, close your eyes, put yourself back into that moment. Focus on the smells, focus on the sweat, focus on the humidity around you, put yourself in that moment. And working with Bradley, I had asked him, you know, questions not of just like, Hey man, what movies did you do? But how do you make a good movie? And, Working with him and Clint, they both said, you know, a great movie is one that you can turn the sound off, watch it, and still know what's going on and put yourself into it. So Mm. I took those experiences of writing stuff down, you know, the artistic side of working on a movie. And when we put pen to paper, I wanted to, through paper, put people into the moment of what it's like to be a SEAL under the helmet, you know, get in the mindset, but also get in the boots and and walk those streets with, with giants. And, um, that was our, our biggest goal was to, you know, pull you from your chair while you're reading and put you side by side with Mark Lee and Ryan Job and, and Mike Monsoor and, you know, really fulfill your time 
you know, while you're reading that book and, and have you walk away with not like, that was a great book, but I walked with those men in 2006 and I can tell their story now. Right. Well, congratulations on that part. Cause I thought you, uh, so incredible how you did that. And, uh, it really was just hard to put down because you, you feel like you're there, uh, good and bad. Like, uh, there were moments, there were times in the book I was, uh, <laughs> I was, I was uncomfortable. I was uncomfortable for you. I was, you know, and of course, obviously I put myself in that situation, uh, because you talk about even you know the vulnerabilities and the uh, uh, the screw up. What was the remember when you took dropping a magazine? Yeah, you dropped the magazine, and so just the sheer of all that you. And I was thinking after all that training, all this stuff, and we have a moment, and then you know um, uh, a mistake is made, you know, and so I felt bad. And then other times I was. Um, is either uncomfortable with almost your attitude, the attitude that that you had to have and that you describe, uh, or not had to have, or that you just had about just the mission, and you know, uh, we're going to have to take some people out, and um, you know, I was like, wow, I mean, just the just that mentality um, that you guys had uh, to to get a mission done uh, was just fascinating to me, and uh, um, I'm just thankful that you did, you know, put it down and. And you're talking about the movie, and uh, uh, I love how Kevin's just dropping these names like, you know, Clint and Bradley. So Bradley Cooper, Clint Eastwood. Um, now, that's an incredible story about how you ended up actually on that movie. So so remind us again about how you end up uh, as, as technically as an actor. Uh, now you're an actor. So tell us about how that happened and how you end up doing that. I, I think we're both actors. So uh, we got something in common. <laughs> I'm um, a reality TV guy. I'm not an actor. What are you talking about? <laughs> um, I just... So after I got out of the Navy, um, I went down to uh, Winston-Salem to start grad school. But I left Lindsay um, and my son in Connecticut because she had to finish teaching for the semester. And I didn't know as I was preparing for school that Bradley Cooper's production company had bought the rights to American Sniper. Um, I was working with Chris at Craft International, kind of in contract writing. And um, Lindsay had saw that come over the wave. She had mentioned to me briefly in a conversation. I didn't really pick up on it. And um, she had sent a Facebook note to Jason Hall, the writer, saying, hey, this is an outstanding story. You know, Charlie Platoon is outstanding. Just don't mess it up. And uh, Jason responded back with a pretty prompt uh, Facebook message and said, well, help me, don't mess this up. So they hmm. conversed back and forth. And Lindsay eventually moved down to Winston-Salem and told me, uh, we're sitting having coffee one morning, and she goes to me, she's like, I met a guy. And I was like, huh? Oh, no. And she's like, <laughs> uh, no, don't worry, he's a, he's an actor. And um, my blood's already starting to boil. I'm like, we've, we've been away for six weeks, really. Um, and she's like, no, 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 it's okay. It's Jason Hall, the writer of American Sniper. So um, she's like, he wants to know more about big ols and seal stuff and sniping. Um, so I text Chris and I, I told him I, you know, Jason Hall wanted to link up, and Chris, you know, kind of laughed it off. And he's like, yeah, that guy's Hollywood, um, but let's let's go ahead and do it. So for the next three or four months, Chris, Kyle, myself, and Jason Hall worked on the screenplay, the original screenplay of American Sniper. My, my role was very small. It was, hey, how do you, how do you, how do you patrol? Um, or, you know, how was Mark Lee? You know, how bad did he smell? Stuff like that. Right. Um, but Jason finished the screenplay the day before Chris was murdered on February 1st, that Friday. And, um, I, you know, I called Chris that day. 
texted him the next day, that Saturday morning, and then Saturday night I got the news that we all did, that Chris had been murdered at Rough Creek. And, um, you know, I called Jason and told him he was crushed. And, uh, you know, working uh, with uh, Chris's family, invited Jason Hall down to, you know, the funeral services to meet a lot of the SEALs and really understand what the Brotherhood was about. And that was a that was a big step, you know, right. to invite a Hollywood guy down to Chris's, right. you know, memorial where there's going to be a ton of SEALs. Right. Um, but Chris had sold the rights to American Sniper. Uh, they were going to make the movie, so they might as well make it as accurate as they can if they're going there, to there, make a movie. Was there any point that it would be delayed or even stopped? I mean, or was it just we're pushing on? I mean, despite the I fact think, that Chris had been... I, I, just, I wonder what in those moments, like... Because yeah, obviously it's chaotic. He, it's, you know, I mean, uh, very unexpected. So, or was the project going and... You know, the project was, and they didn't have a director. You know, they had a story. They had a writer to write the screenplay. But, you know, talking with Bradley, you know, months later, years later, when we're working on the movie, filming it, you know, they really didn't have a true ending. Um, and I think when Jason went down to Texas and, you know, we rode in the same vehicle from Dallas to Austin, and you see that footage from Jason's cell phone in, in American Sniper. Right. Um, and you saw the response and the profound effect that Chris had on not just, the platoon, not just the people of Texas, but really the nation, um, it, it, it expedited how that movie was made and it really turned into, you know, 14 months, you know, from when Chris was murdered to when we're in Morocco filming the movie. Right. Um, you know, it, it was, it hit a fever pitch. Um, so Jason went back to LA after the funeral, um, brought me out to Texas or brought me out to LA to train Bradley how to shoot you know, how to be a sniper. He was pretty good. I mean, he could hit headshots at like 400 meters. So I, I trained him with a good buddy of mine, Rick Wallace, who's a former SEAL. And um, he kept peppering me. He's like, hey, you ever think about playing yourself in the movie? And it really didn't cross my mind because the reason why I was out there, the, my whole input was to make sure Bradley becomes Chris Kyle and tells that story the way he should. Um, so I didn't give it much thought. And he kept going back and forth and saying, you should play yourself. And finally, I was like, okay. So they sent me some sides to read. I did them on an iPhone while I was back in North Carolina in grad school, and Clint loved them. And uh, <laughs> the casting director called me up, and uh, he's like, I showed the tapes to Clint, and Clint loved them. said, boy's damn good. Get him a job. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good Clint Eastwood. <laughs> <laughs> Not too, well, you spend three and a half months with a guy on a movie set. You, you pick up what he's putting down. Um, but, yeah, so I, I got the role and, um, you know, got to, had the honor of being a technical advisor and, you know, got to work on the movie with those guys right well you know when you talk about you know losing people and how much you realize um that we're just here for a short period um i you know chris's death uh profoundly affected me and you talk about that in your book about you know i, I know we all know exactly where we were when we heard that news i happened to be in the middle of a really crowded restaurant in new orleans uh louisiana and i just bolted and took off um uh, left the dinner party and and I had seen Chris just a few weeks before at Shot Show, and I was uh, I was in there was a line there and I was signing autographs and he walks by and he just kind of nods and I went hey come here and he said ah we'll talk later and um, and we did speak for a second and just no idea that that was uh, the year before we had sat up probably till four in the morning at a bar and I'd heard 
way more stories and just uh that scared the mess out of me just uh, all his stories and um um so just you never know and so i was so glad that the movie came out um glad you were part of it and and what bradley it was amazing i don't know bradley personally but um man it just you know it just seemed like i was watching him uh the actress who played taya was same way i saw so many little things where i was like god that is so hurt you know um so ultimately sad uh for all of us uh who knew him but um but you know you guys were able to again tell his story tell the story of the military and the real stuff much like you did in uh, the last Punisher, and so uh, I'm grateful for you guys that uh, have to go back through and uh, put that down, especially when they're tragic, uh, like Marcus. I mean, um, mm-hmm. you know, having to, you know, we talked about that one time about becoming famous whenever ever everybody that you loved and care about around you uh, are not here anymore, and so that's a it's a tough plight. And so I think for us on this side, you know, as civilians, to try to make that easier and try to. Uh, obviously we've become friends and um, we're just trying to make that better. So now we have a story. We share this crazy story because I, I did not know you up until, uh, I guess I'll say last year, uh, what was a week ago, uh, that our buddy yeah, reminded exactly us. Yeah, a year ago. So uh, we have a mutual friend, uh, and you live in, is it Pensacola? Yeah, I live right outside of Pensacola. Right outside of Pensacola. Yep. So you're uh, down in that area, and I have a great friend. You have a friend, uh, John McInnes, uh, who's uh, owner of uh, Floribama Bar, among other crazy things that he does. So we're all buddies, and uh, uh, John's one of these guys who thinks that uh, the world is literally almost over. I mean, it's we're a week out, you know, and he's read every book and every about moons and uh, the blood. Every Everything's a sign. Uh, so he's kind of a spooky guy, and uh, – he calls me up in a panic. He's like, Willie, we got to go to Israel right now. And I was like, we're going to Israel. He said, yeah, I think I think it's time. I think we need to move over there right now. And uh, I, and I, we had just stopped shooting Duck Dynasty. And I said, well, yeah, let's go. And so he said, we're going with David Huckabee, Mike Huckabee's son. Uh, and they do tours and stuff over there. And he said, my friend Kevin Lace is coming. And, and he said, Kevin is a former SEAL. And he's also... Uh, uh, in the medical field right now, and I thought, what a perfect guy to travel with in Israel. Because I, I was a little scared. I mean, I'd seen you know news and stuff, and so I thought, I've got a guy that if we get in a bad situation, I felt good about you getting us out, and just in case something happened, you could stitch us up too. You know, so um, land, sea, wherever we were. So, uh, so I felt good. Although we did. Have- we did have uh, uh, people around us as well, uh, security over there as well. So we went to Israel, and um, that's a that was a life changing thing for me. I mean, I I was blown away um, just by seeing all the old things. Uh, I had the the fortune of helping uh, uh, baptize you in the the Jordan River. Uh, of course, we all got baptized. We all had our little white uh, our little white robes on, and and we traveled around and. It was just a great experience. I mean, for me to come home and try to, you're such a detail man that you remember and you took all the pictures. And so I think I probably had six pictures on my iPhone and there were days that I really was hazy on when I'm trying to tell my family about how it went. So, uh, but how was that trip for you? Yeah, it was incredible. And, you know, we got to talk about John a little bit more. I, my wife and I moved to the area and didn't know anybody 
in the area, and I heard something about the Special Operations uh, Warrior Foundation. Was do- they're doing a charity at the floor, Bama. So it's a Saturday morning. We're like, we'll go over there and support. I don't know anybody. And I went over there, and I met John out of nowhere, and I didn't know he owned the place. And, you know, about an hour in, he told me he owned the place. And we struck up this conversation, and, and just one of the best human beings you'll ever meet, um, heart of gold, you know, and um, does so many great things for the community and, you know, obviously introduced us. But I didn't know, he, out of nowhere, same thing. He's like, I'm reading about blood moons. Um, you have to go to Israel right now. And I, said, I was like, John, I, I've got a, I got a medical practice. You know, we got patients. He's like, clear your schedule. We're going to Israel. And, you know, he, he set that up. And um, I didn't know what to expect. Um, and it turned out to be one of the most powerful experiences I've ever, aside from, you know, my kids being born and, um, you know, uh, you know, some instances in the military, but one of the most powerful things I've ever done. And um, I to get to Israel as a Catholic um, really puts a lot of things in perspective. Um, it definitely deepens your faith, and it also rationalizes and makes sense of, you know, the stuff that you do overseas as a as a seal. Um, when you go to the Temple of the Mount, Dome of the Rock, and you see how tense it is, and you see you know, that, that balance of, of love and hate. And um, it, it, uh, it it made a lot of sense to me after I went on that trip. Did you ever get nervous of any of the things we did? Were you ever a little nervous about something going down? No, I had you, Willie. You know, that time that um, <laughs> that, that time we're supposed to go to go on hikes. You never looked really nervous. I kind of did a couple of times. Like, you know, we were up at the temple, and everybody started screaming and shouting. And um, I got a little uncomfortable. That's when I just kind of would – Get a little bit closer to Kevin. Kevin's a big guy, okay? John is not a big guy. Kevin's a big guy. How tall are you? Uh, about 6'3". Six, 6'3". Three. Six, three. And uh, so, yeah, it was a little. But didn't you feel, though, like for the people that live there, that you live there every day, what a different way of life than we live here. Uh, I don't know how it is down in Florida, but, you know, there's not a lot of tension here uh, in Louisiana uh, like that, you know, and it's just. They they wear that every day. You know, you just never know uh, when someone's going to blow something up or shoot something. Everybody's got a weapon on them. I mean, everyone, um, you know, they're carrying around uh, weapons. And so it's just a, wow, what a, it's just an intense place to be. And so, and then when I see those places, now you realize it's been like that for thousands of years. Um, just never thought about the real places because you're you're looking over not only with Jesus Christ and, you know, the disciples and see a Galilee, but then it's like, oh yeah, there's, you know, you know, uh, where Isaiah was and Abraham, I mean, you, you going way back. And so it just blew me away. And, um, I, I, I can't wait to go back. Uh, we've been talking and texting about, uh, trying to get back over there, but, um, it, it was just a great trip. We had some spirited debates, uh, some awesome debate riding around that van, um, I would get on different people, especially David Huckabee. Uh, I'd wear him out a little bit. Politics, uh, we talked about politics, <laughs> a lot of religion. Uh, so uh, it was a fun trip, and I was glad to be able to get to know you there and um, and do that. And then, then I went back. Uh, I went back over and visited uh, you guys with John. And tell me about the charity, because uh, I think it's awesome what you guys do. And tell me a little bit about your charity and uh, what y'all do there to try to help people out. So uh, you came over for the youth ministry charity um, event that John had set up. Mm-hmm. And John, had, um, he didn't really tell me too much about it. And, you know, basically taking young men 
off the streets, you know, struggling with substance abuse, um, and empowering them, bringing them to the Lord, and you know, sending them on their way. We actually ran into a gentleman the other day who's working. He's a manager at a restaurant, and um, you know, he's been working there for the last two years. Very successful, done very well, and he's going to school up in Michigan to be a hard hat diver. Um, and just seeing those stories um, after going that that day, and then learning more from John, so it's absolutely incredible. But um, my wife and I started a charity back a year ago. Um, we were working on the book, and I'd been hunting in Africa a few years before, before I started grad school. And I went there, and it was one of the most calming places I've ever been. And I told myself I need to bring Lindsay here. So we went back in 2015, and we really just turned off the computers, turned the phones off, except for the emergency call back to the kids, make sure they're all right. And communicated she got to she grew up in a hunting family her father-in-law or her dad um, got me hunting in Africa and she learned why I like to hunt and it's not just shooting an animal it's deer camp it's stalking it's being a hunter it's you know that that chasing you know pursuit and, and, and capture and she ended up shooting an Impala and loved it had a great time but she came back changed she felt like this is something we need to share with other veterans and spouses to promote communication so we launched hunting for healing and we take service connected veterans and their spouses on hunting fishing outdoor activities and we've done duck hunting in Chalmette. um you know we have gone offshore fishing out of destin uh we're going to costa rica in um march we are we're actually going gator hunting in Chalmette again um in the next couple weeks and we're also taking two veterans and two spouses back to namibia um on a seven-day plains game hunt next may so Oh wow! The experiences are so powerful, and it's it's getting people outside their comfort zone, and it's allowing them to shut everything else out around them and build a strong bond. Because when you get out as of the a couple, your friend, as a couple, right? There's as a couple, correct? right? Yeah, to for to to work on the marriage as well, because I think people don't think about that as much as you think about the individual who's serving and all that. But man, it really. You know, it's a strain on a marriage. You come back, you're especially when you're here, you're retired, and, you, you know, all the things you bring with that. So that's what I loved about what you were doing was actually as a couple because you guys were like that as well and trying to, you know, uh, keep it all together because it's not, it's not just an individual thing. There's family, kids, and, you know, as the couple goes, so the family, so the kids, all of it uh, hinges off that relationship. Correct, yeah. It's, it's, for a veteran, you know, when you get out, your friend group is massive. You know, you have all your buddies in the platoon. And then as the days, months, years go by, you know, that dwindles down to the ones you hold close. And then ultimately, day to day, it's just you and your spouse. Right. And we wanted to share that because, you know, as I'm sure Corey knows, like, when it's it's deer season, you know, uh, Lindsay's she's on her own. You know, that's, <laughs> that's what I do. Um, and we want the spouse to understand why we do it if we can bring them closer over deer camp over hunting um right. that we've done something good for them well and you <clears throat> you mix that together and i just think it's great what you guys are doing hunting for healing um and so uh i'm, I'm excited to see how that grows and how you guys uh, put more into that and obviously whatever i can do uh, uh to help you i'll do as well and uh, uh now you're uh, uh you've gotten your uh you're a physician's assistant. Um, I was able to meet some of the some of your staff that you worked with. Now Kevin's also uh, kind of like my my surrogate doctor over there. So when we were on vacation, uh, 
the staff comes over. They do the blood work. Uh, so now I'm on vitamins, uh, and you, I, you actually consult me on medical stuff as well. So uh, it's a funny thing how uh, life works and how we end up with people in our lives. And, uh, uh, Kevin, I'm thankful you're one of those, and thanks for trying to keep me healthy. And uh, uh, the Lord provided safety for us in Israel, and I'm sure we'll have another trip uh uh, soon we'll have a lot of memories and uh i got to get those other guys on uh the podcast as well certainly john and uh and david here about all the stuff that's going on but you know just a just a real spirit of uh community we're brought together as americans uh which is great and we all love our country and we served and helped and uh whether it's pop culture television movies uh military uh we all come together and uh just the bond of christianity as well and just uh just hanging out with people that we want to hang out with because life's too short to hang out with people that we don't. So, uh, Kevin, I'm so thankful for you, and uh, thank you for this book. Um, uh, I wish everybody uh, would get a copy, uh, The Last Punisher, uh, uh, with Kevin Lace, uh, and just talking about his um, story about Ramadi and just being over there. Um, and I hope we never forget you know, the sacrifices that are made uh, for us to live the way we do and to help so many people all around the globe. So, Appreciate it, brother. Well, I appreciate it, man, and uh, thank you for everything you've done. And, um, you know, you, that trip to Israel definitely, uh, I was talking with John the other day, it's made me a better person. I, I appreciate you. I feel the same way. All right, guys, that was Kevin Lace. Um, unbelievable guy. Just so glad to know him. And, you know, some of these SEAL guys that I know and have hung out with, you can tell. I mean, you can hang out with them and see that a lot of – crazy stuff happened in their life kevin's one of those guys he if you didn't know uh his former life uh you would have no idea um just really got his head together his heart in the right place got a great family so uh once again just thankful that kevin came on and shared his story uh today's bible verse is second corinthians 4 verses 8 and 9 we are hard pressed on every side yet not crushed we are perplexed but not in despair persecuted but not forsaken struck down but not destroyed i'm thankful that uh the men and women of our military um put that passage right there into uh work and uh live that out and uh really for all of us you know uh, it's just having a great attitude and uh and willing to stand up against things that aren't right and are evil so uh hope you guys got it today love you see ya Hi, everybody. It's Brian Kilmeade. I want you to join me weekdays at 9 a.m. East as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and, of course, what you think. Listen live or get the podcast now at briankilmeadeshow.com.